Turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. Going through a series through the book of 1 John, we're going to look at a pretty big passage today. We're going to finish 1 John 2. We're going to start a few verses in 1 John 3. If you grew up in church, or attended for a little bit maybe even, You've probably heard about someone called the Antichrist. You ever heard of the Antichrist? How many of you have ever heard that term before? I'm not going to ask you what you know about it or put you on the spot, but you've heard about the Antichrist. There's probably varying levels of, of understanding. It's about this mysterious future person, oftentimes mentioned about perhaps in the Bible. A man named Craig Coaster said that most people understand the Antichrist as a singular, so one figure of evil, evolved in the events of the end of the world. And he also said that if you ask most people, where can you read about the Antichrist in the Bible? He said they would say, in the book of Revelation. But he goes on to say, interestingly enough, that the Antichrist the word at least, is never once used in the book of Revelation. It's used multiple times in the Bible, but never in the book of Revelation. It's mentioned only in the book of 1 John and in the book of 2 John. Sadly, I think most people, when they think of the Antichrist, their view of the Antichrist has been based more on the Left Behind series, if you've ever heard of that before the books and the movie. By the way, some movies and books can be helpful and they can be entertaining, but please build your beliefs and your doctrine on Scripture and not on movies or books. And a lot of people have maybe read prophecy books or seen some chart, and from that they've developed a whole kind of end times belief. And sadly, a lot of it really has nothing to do with the Bible. So most people, I think, have their views about the Antichrist more off the Left Behind series and books and movies rather than the Bible. Now, the word Antichrist is used. It's used by John, but he doesn't use it in the book of Revelation. He uses it in 1 John a number of times. He uses it a lot in the passage that we're going to look at today. And surprisingly, when John talks about the Antichrist... He doesn't talk about some world ruler who's going to come on the stage demanding that people will worship him and dominate the world. He's not someone that's going to try to seize control of the global economy or someone who's going to try to threaten global security. Now, I'm not saying that I don't believe that perhaps that there is coming an antichrist that's going to do some of that. that that's not my point today. But my point is is that when you read about the Antichrist that John refers to here in the book of 1 John, it's not some world leader who's going to threaten the global economy or threaten global security. But rather, he talks about many Antichrists. Not one in the future, but many in the present. And there's not a... The, 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 the Antichrist that John talks about 
It's not concerned with overthrowing the world. The Antichrist that John talks about is concerned with overthrowing your faith. And in such a subtle way to just get you off a little bit to the wrong direction. Let me give you some things to think about as we talk about this subject this morning. Have you ever known someone who used to attend a Bible-centered church? They used to identify as a Christian, but now they've left the church or they've left Christianity or they no longer seek to walk with Christ. Maybe you've heard someone say this, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Or maybe you know someone who claims to believe in Christ, but the Christ that they seem to believe in doesn't match the Christ of the Bible, doesn't match the Christ that we know about in Scripture. Well, in each of these examples, someone who, well, for a time seemed to be a Christian, or someone who says, I'm religious, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, or someone who follows Christ, but they kind of make up their own Christ as they go. They put away the things they don't like about the Christ of the Bible and, and redefine this Christ. Well, in each of those examples, it's likely someone who has been influenced by antichrists. Now, there's a real serious situation going on in the book of 1 John. That's why he wrote it. It's a letter written to people that John cares about. He calls them my dear ones or little children as an affectionate term because he cares so much about them. And, And what's happening in this serious situation is some people who once belonged to the church, they were once a part of the community of faith in Jesus, have abandoned the church. They've abandoned the faithful beliefs of Christianity. And John is writing to these who have continued to hold to Christ, to walk with Christ, to serve Christ. They've continued in this church, and John writes to encourage them not to abandon, but to abide. Not to abandon Christ, but to abide in Christ. That's what our passage is about. Look at it with me if you have a Bible. 1 John 2, verse 18. Little children, there he uses it again. It is the last time or the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. So they left the church and the the beliefs of Christianity that the church held to. They went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth or confesseth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you 
which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce or deceive you. But the anointing which you have received of Him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in Him. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That's a lengthy section, but what's it about? Here it is in a nutshell. John is writing to Christians who are being seduced. Seduced not by a, a pretty woman, but seduced by false teachers to lead them astray. So John's writing to these Christians about people who are seeking to deceive them, and he's urging them to abide in Jesus. And for you and I today, what does this mean for us? Well, there's really two options that we have. We can abide in Jesus or we can abandon Jesus. We can abide in Jesus, or we can abandon, we can abandon Jesus. And that's what our sermon's about today. There are many people who have abandoned Christ. And there are those who are seeking to take us away from Christ. But God's Word calls us to abide to remain, to continue in Christ. Now, if we're going to do that, if we're going to abide in Christ and not abandon Christ, there are two necessities. Let me give them to you. Two things that must be true of us if we're going to abide in Christ. Number one, abiding in Christ involves continuing in the right beliefs. The right beliefs. If you're going to abide in Christ, then you better pay very careful attention to what you believe. And you better make sure that what you believe is from God's Word. That you come back to this book like a well of water that you need every day. Have you ever heard somebody, well, that's just what I believe. That's just what I believe. That's just the way I see it. That's not Christian language. That's not Christian mindsets. You and I must base our beliefs on what God's truth says. Abiding in Jesus 
means that we must hold fast to the right beliefs, the right beliefs that we've heard from the beginning. Look what he says in, in verse 24 we read earlier. He said, Let that therefore abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If that which you heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So again, at some now follow this carefully. This is important to understand. At some point, there was a certain group of people that were a part of this church that John's writing to who John later calls them false prophets. They were a part of it at one point, but they had left the church. And they were beginning to deny certain crucial and vital doctrines and truths of Christianity. Now, it's hard for us to figure out exactly. John doesn't say, okay, hey, here's all the things they were saying. He doesn't tell that. You know, just like if, if you were to write a letter and someone to pick it up 100 years later, there's certain things they could follow, but they wouldn't know what you meant by that. Like, you know, um, th th they would be looking at certain things and say, you know, what's that, right? Just like it, kids today pick up a book from, 18, you know, from the 1800s, and they look at words and they say, man, I have no idea what that means. So there's some things as we look at this, we can't exactly say what was going on. But here's what we think is happening. There were some people in the church who eventually started to claim that they had some advanced knowledge, that they had some mystical knowledge, maybe think of it this way, some new insights that everyone else needed to know about. And these new insights, well, they were different from the old teachings that they had received from the beginning. Some new things about Christ that were different from the gospel message that John had preached. Now, follow this very carefully. Here's one of the new insights that they seem to be claiming. They seem to be denying that the human or man, Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was born in Bethlehem, the one that grew up in Nazareth, the one that walked Galilee, that that man, that human being, that he was not the same as the eternal Son of God. Now, he might have for a season the Spirit of the Christ descended on him for a time. And they probably were saying something like from his baptism until right before he died on the cross, that Jesus of Nazareth was influenced by the Christ, but the man, Jesus, is not the Son of God, the Christ. It's probably something like that. So if you're not careful, you would hear them say things and you would think, okay, yeah, that, that sounds right. They might talk about Christ. But if you weren't discerning, if you weren't carefully noticing, if you didn't know your Bible, you could be quickly deceived into, well, maybe that we're talking about the same Christ. By the way, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, all kinds of other religious groups have this very same problem. Sometimes we use the same words. They may talk about Jesus. They may talk about Christ. They may talk about God. Are we talking about the same person? Do we hold to the same truths? 
And if you follow this one clue, it's going to help. It's going to turn the light on for you when you go through 1 John. Oh, that's why John. Why does John keep talking about the virgin birth so much? Why does he keep talking about Jesus coming by water and blood? Why does he keep talking about those that deny that Jesus is the Christ? I mean, who would do that in a church? Some people might think. Oh, friends, give the devil more credit than that. How dumb do you think Satan is? You think he's so dumb that he's going to try to bring in false teaching in a way that the most clueless Christian could just pick it out right away? No. No, he's going to bring in these beliefs. He's going to change terminologies a little bit. He's going to switch some things up ever so Subtly. And so that's why John says, do you remember what we as eyewitnesses of Jesus taught you from the beginning? That there are people who are using Christ's name, but teaching you things that are false about Christ. And so you need to go back to that which you heard from the beginning and hold to that. Remain in that truth. Be committed to continue in those beliefs. Notice this. I mean, I don't want to take too much time, but it's important. Look back at how many times he talks about what they had been taught from the beginning. Look at John, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning. 1 John 2, 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. Look at the same chapter we just read it a minute ago where he said twice, hold to that which you heard from the beginning. That's 1 John 2, 24. But look at 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning. Again, he's urging them not to abandon the truth that they've heard, but to abide in the truth that they've heard from the beginning. Now, what were these truths? What are these right beliefs that are so important that they hold to? Well, let me just walk you through a few of them. Look at verse 22. Here's one of the most important beliefs. Who is a liar? Except he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Messiah. Look at verse 23. That Jesus is the Son of of God. Whoever denies that Jesus is the Son does not have the Father. In other words, it's a package deal, friends. Like you can't have God, the Father, without confessing Jesus as Lord. So Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God and confessing that He is the Son of God versus denying that He's the Son of God. And that notice that these beliefs, these are not just, okay, well, maybe you see it that way or I see it this way. No, he says that if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Like eternity is at stake here. There's nothing more important than this. I mean, you may have differences of opinion with people in this church over climate control and over what kind of foods people should eat or, you know, time change, right, that's coming. Some people hate it. Most people hate it. Maybe a few people love it. We can have a, disagreements about a whole host of things that don't really matter in the long stretch of it. But whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, whether or not He's the Son of God, friends, everything hangs on that. And that these beliefs 
carried with them the promise of eternal life. That there's no way to eternal life except through the Son who is the Messiah, who is Jesus of Nazareth. So John is saying to them, if you notice, you don't need these new insights. You don't need these who are coming and claiming all of this advanced mystical spiritual knowledge. And they would say, oh, well, hey, you know, the stuff we're talking about, you can't get that in a book. These are just things that, you know, you'll have to experience for yourself. So they were talking and boasting of this spiritual knowledge and insight. But did you notice what John said about them? Look at verse 20. He says, you don't need that. You already have an unction or an anointing. Verse 27, he says, the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. Now, are you anointed? What does it mean to be anointed? I mean, there's a lot of Christians that think, well, to be anointed means, man, this person, they're, they're a really great speaker or a really great singer. When they speak, when they sing, man, I just get goosebumps. And that's, that's what the anointing is. I hate to burst bubbles, but that's not what the anointing is. The anointing is not a feeling that you get. The anointing is something, listen, come in. Every one of them, from the youngest to the oldest. He says, if you're a Christian, you've been anointed. Now, what in the world does that mean? I'm glad you ask, even if you didn't. We'll pretend that you did. You know, in the Old Testament, they had this practice where when God chose someone for a specific role, He would anoint them. He would have them anointed. So when a king was chosen, when a priest was installed, when a prophet was installed, they would be anointed. And oftentimes what that meant is that oil was poured over their heads, right? You remember that about David, where when he was anointed king, they poured oil over his head. And he was anointed king. Now, why did they do that? They, they did that as a symbolic act to show that this person that the oil is poured over is the one that God's chosen. This is the person that's going to lead us in this specific way according to God's plan. Now, that was the Old Testament. Now, in the New Testament, anointing became associated not as much with oil being poured over someone, but as the Holy Spirit being poured out on all of God's people. Now, oil oftentimes in the Bible, does represent. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, who has the Holy Spirit? Every Christian. Every Christian from the moment that they become a Christian. The, the moment someone becomes a Christian, God's Spirit comes to live in them, and He's poured His Spirit out on them. Now, now, okay, well, so what does it mean that I've been anointed, that I have the Spirit? Well, man, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. You have an anointing from the Holy One, which is, I believe, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there, and you know all things. If 
follow the connection here. Anointing has to do with God's Spirit being upon us now. And now it leads to knowledge, knowing all things. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of Him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you. So again, the anointing has to do with the Spirit and with knowledge. Because he says, the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in Him. Now, there's kind of, a, kind of an interesting paradox in all this. He's telling them they don't need to be taught while He's teaching them. Like, He's teaching them they don't need to be taught. Okay, so we don't need to take this too far. This doesn't mean, okay, well, now that I have the Holy Spirit, I mean, I don't need, any, I don't need anyone to teach me. You can take things too far. That's not what he means, because if that's what he means, he would never have written them anything. What he's saying to them is this, you don't need this special new insight that's being claimed, that they have some kind of new revelation, they have some spiritual knowledge that you don't have. So you need to follow them because they've got all the insights, and you're dependent upon their spiritual knowledge. John says, throw all that mess in the trash. Because if you have God's Spirit as you do, then God's Spirit is teaching you from His Word and through His people all things that you need to know. You don't need some kind of special knowledge. You have all that you need in Christ's Word. Now, how does this apply to us today? We're talking about the right beliefs. Well, there are a few things that we have to avoid if we're going to continue in the right beliefs. And the first thing we have to avoid is what I'm going to call neglect. Listen to what Ian Howard Marshall said. This is very, very important. He says, It's significant that the word remain, which is the word abide, expresses a continuing relationship. It's not merely enough to have heard and assented to the message of Christianity in the time past. That's not enough. The message must continue to be present and active in the lives of those who have heard it. They must continually call it to mind and let it affect their lives. This is why continual study of the Word and participation in Christian instruction is so important for perseverance in the faith. Hey, if you come here for a while, you're going to notice something. That we do some of the same things every week. And some people might call that boring. Other of us might call that necessity of the Christian faith. Like now, we do different songs. Or we have different messages that, and, and Bible passages every week that are different and, and various things like that. But you're going to notice some of the same things reoccurring because according to God's Word, what we need is not something new every day, but to be built up in the same old truths. So this idea of Jesus being the Son of God and being the Christ, this idea that He's coming back for His people, this idea that His people need to live righteous and pure lives, those are things that we need to be reminded about again and again and again and again because we tend to forget about them and lose sight of them day after day after day. What's this mean? 
It means don't be a shallow Christian who neglects doctrine, who neglects the practices that help you grow in your faith. That if you're going to be a Christian that abides, doctrine has to matter to you. Listen to what Thomas Marbury wrote about this faulty misconception that says, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Again, we could be having a chalkboard up today of non-Christian sayings. And that's wonderful. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Friends, an atheist might be the sincerest person that you know. Honestly. You might meet an, an agnostic or I've met some of the most sweetest Hindu people. Some Muslim people are just some of the the kindest people that you'll ever meet and sincere in what they believe. And any of us can be sincerely wrong. Sincerity is important, but it's not most important. Truth is important. I don't know about you, but how, how would you feel getting onto a plane this week? And the pilot says, you know what? I've never flown before. I don't know what in the world I'm doing, but man, I'm sincere. I care about all you guys. Like, I'm a sincerely good person. I'm really glad you're sincere, but give me somebody who knows what they're doing. <laughs> give me somebody who knows what all those gadgets are up there, right? Give me somebody who knows how to land this thing, to take this thing off, right? Sincerity is great. And it's important. I don't mean to diminish it. But we need to be sincere in the truth. So please, don't be someone who goes around thinking, oh man, you know what? Ah, Man, I've got kids to raise. I've got a job to go through. I've got all this stuff. I don't have time to study the Bible. I don't have time to learn about big words like theology and atonement and propitiation and and all the rest of that stuff. Friend, that stuff matters. It matters deeply to your life. You need to know the truth so that you can abide in it. So read your Bible. Pray. Keep coming back week after week because this is where we open His Word and pray it and sing it and study it. Read some good Christian books. Those books aren't perfect over there, but but we've tried to choose some books that we think will help you learn more about this book and read them. So one danger is neglect. Another danger is novelty. David Jackman said, don't go on a ceaseless quest for novelty. Some Christians are always seeking something new, some new experience, some new teaching. You know what? (laughs) It's always been funny to me when I have gone through classes that, that, that teach you how to preach the Bible or share the Bible. They say, if you're reading the Bible and you come across an interpretation of it that no one else has ever, come across, <laughs> has ever used before, that shouldn't make you feel like you're smart. That should make you think, I probably got this wrong. Now, in other words, if you're the only one who's ever come across that and said, you know, hey, I think it means this, and, and every other Christian throughout history has walked with Jesus, didn't see it that way, well, that means you probably missed it. Does that make sense? That, 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 that we're always seeking with something, oh man, well that was just so new and different. Again, if you notice, we spend a lot of our time week after week reminding ourselves of these timeless truths. Now, I believe there is freshness in these truths. They're not boring and dull. They're communicated many different ways in the Bible, but our greatest need week after week 
is not to hear something new, but to, old, to hold fast to that which is old and timeless and eternal. Well, let me give you the last thing. Abiding in Jesus involves the right beliefs and finally the right behaviors. Beliefs always follow behaviors. And notice he gives them some reasons and motivations for why they should live the right way. Look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Him, continue in Him, remain in Him. That, here's the purpose, when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. He says He's coming again. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus that we've already sang about numerous times today. He's already told them it's the last hour, it's the last time. And He's saying, abide in Jesus, be faithful to Him, stay close to Him, walk with Him, know His Word, so that when He comes, which He could come at any moment, we won't be ashamed. Then He says another motivation. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, as to why we should live the right way. He talks about the sort or manner or kind of love. The Father has bestowed upon us. And He says, behold, that's the first word of 1 John 3, 1. And it, it's designed to get them to think deeply about the Father's love for them. And He notices, says that we're the children. He's our Father. That's something He's repeated numerous times. He's called God Father and, and we His children. In this glorious future that we have as the children of God with Christ as our Savior and the Father as our own. That's what he uses as motivation to live right because if you belong to God, you should seek to be more like Him, right? Have you ever seen like a, a kid and they, you say, man, you act just like your mom. You act just like your dad. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing, Right? But we, as the children of God, should be resembling God more by the way that we live. When he says, how do you do that, though? What does it actually look like to abide in Jesus? Look at verse 29. If you know that Jesus, that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Look at verse 3 of 1 John 3, 3. Every man that hath this hope, if, if Jesus coming again truly is our hope, then everyone that hath that hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. How do we abide in Jesus? Not just by the right beliefs, but by the right behavior. Someone may say all the right words, but if they're living in sin, they're not abiding in Jesus. They may give you all the Sunday school answers, and by the way, some people know them really well. Like, they know them super well. They can give you the right answers. And if you just listen to what they say, you think, oh, well, this is, this is a strong, faithful Christian. But if you watch the way they live, it's not righteous. It's not pure. So he says, part of how we abide in Him is we live as He lives. That our lives are growing more pure, clean from sin. 
Did you have a parent growing up that went out of town every once in a while on maybe a business trip or something? And if you knew if you came, if they came home and you had been disobedient, you'd be in trouble. Like if I had a dollar for every time my mom said something like, just wait till your dad gets home. Like I could retire at 36. Just wait until your father gets home. Let me tell you, that was good motivation. There was a healthy fear there. I was never beaten or anything, but there was a healthy reverence. I mean, my dad could look at me from across the room and grit his teeth, and I knew, oh boy, not good. <laughs> not good. There is something restraining about us as Christians to think, do I want to be living like this when Christ comes? If He comes again, are these going to be my priorities? Is this what I'm living for? Is this what I'm spending all my time on? Is this what my money, my resources, my energy, my affections are all going after? But there's a far better motivation. More than fear of punishment is the motivation of love. I think that's why John says, Oh, behold what manner of love God has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. Now, purify yourself as the day gets closer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. And we are tempted in many ways. There are many false prophets and false teachers who, according to John, could be called antichrists. Not because they're seeking to overthrow the world governments, but because their teachings will lead us away from the true Christ. And so in the most literal sense, they are against Christ by what they believe and the way they behave. Father, we pray that you would help us to abide, not to abandon, but to abide in Christ. By holding to the truths that we've heard in your word, from the beginning of our salvation in you. We pray that the truths would sink deep into us. And we thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit as an anointing over our lives to give us the knowledge and truths from your word that we need. Help us to believe what's right and to live righteous lives. For that's how we abide in you, by the right beliefs and the right behaviors. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here today who has never put their trust in Jesus as the Son of God, Savior, Messiah. They've never experienced the promise of eternal life. I pray they'll do what we read today, that they will confess Jesus as the Son of God. 
And by confessing the Son, they have you, Father, as well. And Lord, for those of us who have confessed Christ and trust in Christ, to remain, continue, abide in Christ. Until you come again, we pray it in Jesus' name.